Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures once again with us as we continue with our discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. We've been stressing the importance of realizing in all Bible study that Jesus was a Hebrew, a Jew. He was also a preacher of salvation coming from the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, Jesus said. It makes perfect sense, therefore, that if we want to align ourselves with the mind of Jesus and have his spirit, we will need to investigate carefully the background, the Hebrew background, to everything Jesus taught. Jesus was, in fact, an apocalyptic preacher of the kingdom of God. That word apocalyptic points to the great cataclysmic upheavals which are destined to occur on this earth when Christ returns to establish his kingdom. The word apocalyptic has to do with the great events of the future, the day of the Lord. The book of Revelation itself, in the original Greek language, the apocalypsis, means, of course, apocalypse or unveiling, a revelation of things that are going to happen as God intervenes to exchange the present evil systems for the inspired system of the kingdom of God as it will be ruled and regulated by Jesus and the saints of all the ages. It is to that stupendous event that the gospel of the kingdom looks forward. In fact, all of Jesus' teaching is geared to that great event of the future, the apocalyptic arrival of the Son of Man in power and glory, who will be, of course, the returning Jesus, who is now temporarily detained in heaven until, as Acts 3.21 says, the great restoration of all the things about which the prophets of the Hebrew Bible had spoken. That verse in Acts 3.21 is a pivotal point in the whole biblical scheme. Heaven must detain the Messiah, Peter says there in that famous sermon. Heaven must detain the Messiah at the right hand of the Father, that is, until the time comes for the restoration of all things, as the prophets of old have spoken. And with that one word, restoration, Peter takes in the whole sweep of history as it will be when Christ returns to take up his position as the legitimate Messiah on the throne of David in a renewed earth and a new government, the kingdom of God itself on the earth. In an earlier discussion with the disciples, in fact during that 40-day seminar in which Jesus engaged his disciples on the issue of the kingdom of God, Acts 1-3, at the conclusion of that series of lectures which Jesus gave to his disciples, when he was the risen Christ appearing on the earth, the disciples asked him a most important question. They said, Has the time now come for the restoration of the kingdom to Israel? Acts 1 verse 6. Now that, of course, was the right question to ask. It was the natural question in view of everything that Jesus had taught and everything that the prophets of Israel had foreseen. Has the time now finally arrived for you to restore national sovereignty to Israel, namely to bring in the kingdom of God, in which the restored nation of Israel will play a prominent part. And Jesus' reply to that question about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel was this, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons when that's going to happen. It wasn't a question of whether the kingdom would be restored to Israel. That's taken for granted by Jesus and the disciples. It was a question of when that's going to happen. And Jesus himself had said earlier that he did not know the time of the second coming. 
and God had not revealed the time when he would return and re-establish the kingdom in Israel, in Jerusalem, and across the world. That time was unknown, but what Jesus did know was that within a few days the Spirit was going to be poured out as an identifying mark on God's people, and that happened, of course, at Pentecost. The important lesson, though, to be learned from Acts chapter 1 is this. The coming of the Spirit in a few days' time is not the same as the event of the coming of the kingdom. It's not to be known when the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. The coming of the kingdom is at a time unknown in the future. However, the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost is going to occur in a very few days' time. What that must prove definitely is this, that the coming of the Spirit is not the same event as the coming of the kingdom of God. We can say, therefore, with complete certainty on the basis of Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, that the kingdom of God has not yet come. The outpouring of the Spirit was a sign of the kingdom, certainly. It enhanced the promise of the kingdom. It demonstrated the power of the future kingdom. But that event at Pentecost was not the coming of the kingdom of God. Quite expressed, as Jesus said, that the coming of the kingdom of God is at a time not to be known. The coming of the Spirit occurred at Pentecost a very few days after Jesus uttered those words. That's a most important distinction in all Bible study. It's a mistake to say that the church is simply the same as the kingdom. We're praying for the kingdom to come. We're not praying for the church to come. The church, of course, is already here. It's expanding as new members are added to it. The church is the assembly of God's people in preparation for the kingdom. They're rulers, potentially. That's to say they're in training to exercise government with Jesus in the kingdom when he returns in power and glory. Now, that distinction between the church and the kingdom is essential if we're to keep our heads in Bible study. Certainly the church and the kingdom are related, but the church is not the kingdom. The kingdom is due to start when Jesus returns. It's at the seventh trumpet that the kingdoms of this present world become the kingdom of God, and at that time Jesus begins to reign. The text there in Revelation 11:15 to 18 states, that's the beginning of the kingdom of the seventh trumpet, and the seventh trumpet, of course, marks the future resurrection of all the faithful so that they can indeed take part in that kingdom of God on the earth when Jesus returns in power and glory. We've been turning our attention to Jesus' long discourse in which he gave a rundown or a countdown of events destined to occur on the earth before he comes back to establish the kingdom. At the end of the 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus had expressed an intense anger at the refusal of the religious authorities of his day to heed his warnings and to respond to his teaching. He addressed them with these words, You serpents, he said, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of Gehenna or hellfire? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and theologians or scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify and some of them you'll scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel, that's a reference, of course, to the book of Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Did you notice there that Jesus said that those people standing in front of him had murdered Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. You'll find the account of that murder in the book of Chronicles. 
Now, why did Jesus list murders and martyrs from Genesis to Chronicles? Because in the order of the books in which he had them in the Hebrew Bible, Chronicles was the last book of the Bible. Second Chronicles concluded the Old Testament. It began, of course, with Genesis. And the law and the prophets and the writings were the three major divisions of the Hebrew Bible as Jesus had it. Jesus himself mentioned that fact in Luke 24, verse 44. He referred there to the scope of the canon of the Hebrew Bible, the sacred writings, the scriptures, as the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Psalms, of course, was the first book of the writings, that third division of the Hebrew canon. And it's encouraging to note that we have exactly the same books in our present Old Testament as Jesus had. It's just that the order of the books has been rather confusing the way we have them. It's more logical to have them in the order in which Jesus found them. And in this passage in Matthew 23 where he spoke of martyrs or murders from Abel to Zechariah, he was referring there to the beginning of the Old Testament scriptures right up to the end of those scriptures in Second Chronicles. I mentioned again that Jesus spoke of those who were standing in front of him as the very ones who had murdered Zechariah. Now, of course, Zechariah had died long before the lifetime of those Pharisees whom Jesus was addressing. So how can it be, then, that they themselves had been guilty of the blood of Zechariah? Well, according to the Hebrew way of thinking, people are seen in groups. And because the Pharisees were of the same murderous spirit as the Pharisees who had killed Zechariah, they may be addressed as you. They're of the same ilk, the same genre, the same type of evil person as those who had been responsible for the death of the prophets. In verse 36 of Matthew 23, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, upon this evil brood, if you like. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus went on to say, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you and your children together, the way a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you were not willing. It's interesting to note there that Jesus did not consider the opposition that he encountered from those religious authorities as something which had to be, as something divinely decreed. On the contrary, he wanted to gather them together, but they were unwilling. It wasn't a question of God having decreed that they could not be gathered by Jesus. There's no strict Calvinism here by which all the affairs of man seem to be predestined. They were unwilling to come to Christ, and they were responsible for their refusal to accept his teachings and acknowledge him as the Messiah. Finally, Jesus said in Matthew 23, verse 38, Behold, your temple is going to be left to you desolate. I tell you, from now on, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus there is looking right forward to his second coming. There is indeed coming a time when, after a great deal of tribulation and persecution, the Jewish people, or a remnant of them, will acknowledge with joy and thankfulness the arrival of their Messiah in Jerusalem to establish the kingdom and to restore it to Israel. But they were not going to see Jesus again from that time on. He was going to be detained in heaven, as Acts 3.21 says, until the time comes for the great restoration of all things to Israel, according to Acts 1.6. And that will be the time when all the Christians 
of all the ages, Jews and Gentiles alike, will be supervisors and administrators in that new world government coming, the kingdom of God. Jesus went on then in the 24th chapter of Matthew to utter his great Olivet Discourse, a continuous discussion of events which are destined to happen prior to Jesus' arrival in power and glory at the end of the age. In Matthew 24, verse 1, we read that Jesus came out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And that gave him just the opportunity that was necessary to embark on this long connected discourse about the countdown to the second coming. Jesus answered and said to them, Don't you see all these things, these temple buildings? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. What Jesus knew was that in prophecy an attack on the temple would result in the desolation and destruction of the final temple of this age in preparation for the erection of the new temple which would exist at the time of the future kingdom of God on the earth. As Jesus was sitting then on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and it was apparently an inner circle of disciples who were privileged to hear this extraordinary discourse, and they asked Jesus, Tell us, when will these things be? When, in other words, will there be trouble and destruction for the temple? And what will be the sign of your coming, your arrival, and of the end of the age? That's all we have time for for today. We invite you to continue with us as we resume our discussion in subsequent programs. Join us again as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.